From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to the Anxiety Project podcast number 119. I am Brad Robinson. We are here today to talk about part two of the Groundhog Day movie interpretation and how Phil finds a way out of this loop, the loop that we all find ourselves stuck in at one point in our lives, right? Because we are habitual creatures. Human beings are routine creatures. And so we can get stuck in a negative routine for a long time. And how we get out of that is really up to us and how much we are willing to persevere through that resistance, how much we are willing to sacrifice in order to serve our higher selves, right? And we see that in this movie, the transformation of Phil from being this self-brooding, narcissistic, egotistical celebrity, you know, to this enlightened and awakened human being at the uh, end of the movie. And so last week we talked about a scene which I thought about where where <clears throat> he encounters a storm and the storm keeps him in Punxsutawney, keeps him and the crew in Punxsutawney. And that storm is what is what brings Phil in into contact with his shadow. Like it's the beginning part of of his journey. And I thought about that and, and I was thinking there has to be more to that. Because why is a storm always represented in this way? It, that it's 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 that it's the beginning. It's it's what forces us to confront the things that we don't want to confront. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I I came across the story of Jonah and the whale. Now, Jonah and the whale is a really interesting story. And what happens in the story is that Jonah is favored by his community. He's the community is thriving. Everything is going well for Jonah. Everything is going well in the community. But there is a another community another city close by, right around the corner, that is suffering. It's suffering from a tyranny. Everyone's just suffering in the city. And then God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, you have to go and help these people. You have to go and help them and help them get out of this, this suffering. But then Jonah thinks to himself, I don't want to go and do that. That's a lot of work. I don't know if I'm capable of doing that. And so he ignores God's command and he, he's like, I can't do it. And then he goes on a ship. He jumps on a, a ship to escape that responsibility. And while he's on the ship, a storm comes and ev all the crew members are on the ship are like, why has this storm come? Somebody has upset the gods and then Jonah comes forth and says, I was the one who ignored God's request and I upset God. 
and then the crew throws Jonah overboard into the depths of the ocean where he gets swallowed by a whale. And I was thinking about this, and and I thought, well, you can't ignore the voice inside of you, right? It's that call, it's that call to adventure. It's the it's that moral voice that guides you. And if you ignore that voice, a storm will surely show you you must not ignore this voice. And so God represents that inner voice. You ignore the voice of God, you're going to pay for it, right? It's going to come back and get you. It's going to throw you overboard into the depths of your being because water does represent the unconscious mind. So Jonah gets thrown overboard into this unconscious, unknown, unknown chaos. He gets swallowed by a whale, and then within the whale, he resolves his mistakes. He admits to God. He admits to his inner self that he made a mistake, that he should have helped those people. And so once he resolved that inner conflict, he, got, he gets spat out of the whale onto dry land. And so in that unknown, we see Jonah confronting the parts of him that he knew he needed to confront, right? But he ignored, he originally ignored those, that voice. And so we see this in Groundhog Day. Phil is always running away from that voice. He's always ignoring. He's always repressing. The storm comes and it, and it forces him overboard into the unknown because he's forced to stay in Punxsutawney. But in Punxsutawney, he starts to relive the same day over and over and over again. So the storm forces him into chaos. Just like in Jonah and the Whale, the storm forces forces Jonah into the depths of the ocean. If the storm forces Jonah to confront the stuff he doesn't want to confront. And so the storm in Groundhog Day is forcing Phil to confront the, un, the, the dark parts of himself, his shadow, that he doesn't want to confront. So I thought that was absolutely interesting. But then I also thought of the DVD cover of the movie because it shows Phil stuck in a clock. And I was like, well, time plays a really important role in this movie. And then I thought of the Peter Pan story where time plays an important role and time is chasing Captain Hook because the there's the crocodile with the clock in its stomach. And I was like, why does the crocodile have a clock in its stomach and why is it chasing Captain Hook? And so Captain Hook, if you look at Captain Hook, he's a tyrant, he's a, but he's unconscious, right? He, he's, he's refusing to face the crocodile. He's always running away from the beast, right? And he's in denial. He's in denial of that crocodile, right? He wants to, he wants to ignore that damn thing lurking in the depths, but you can't. You can't ignore that, that voice of God. You can't ignore that moral voice within you, Right? And what, what, what are the qualities that make up a, a tyrant, that makes up Captain Hook? Well, he's in denial. He's, he's unconscious. He's always running away. But if Captain Hook confronts the crocodile and kills the crocodile and, and, 
And it comes to that awakening that, you know, his problems will go away if he confronts the crocodile, then that thing will forever be chasing him. And he, he'll always be anxious and always, he will always look over his shoulder to see if that thing is lurking, right? But what, what, what is the hero? The hero is somebody who confronts the beast and slays the beast, right? And so Captain Hook is the opposite. He's the one that runs away. But then we think of time. What, what does time have to do with it? Well, Captain Hook is older. And when we get older in life, we become aware of our, of our own mortality. You know, the clock of life is ticking, right? We can ignore it, we, or, but, or we can confront that realization. We can become awakened to that and use time to our advantage rather than to ignore it, rather than to repress it, rather than to deny it. And so we see Phil in Groundhog Day ignoring, um, ignoring the shadow parts of himself. He's ignoring his own mortality. He's ignoring the fact that most of his life has been spent in misery until Phil confronts that and takes responsibility for the time that he has, the more he's just going to stay stuck in that misery, in that cycle, in that loop. So I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And, and that's what time represents in this movie, right? It, you know, Phil is an older man, but, and, 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 but he's unhappy. We see that he's unhappy. He's stuck. And we see that now that he's waking up to the same day, he's actually becoming more awake of time. He's becoming more awake that he needs to start to fix this. There's, there's a problem going on. He's, so we ended up at the first awakening of the same day from last week's podcast. And so he's now becoming more aware that, there's a problem here, you know, and, and that's really, that's, that's the start of his journey, right? He's thrown into the underworld and the only way to get out of the underworld is to figure it out, right? You have to figure it out. There's no, there's no way, there's no way out. And that's what Jonah did in the belly of the whale. He had to figure it out to get, to get out of the underworld. He had to confront the parts of him that, that needed to be confronted, right? you know, what caused him to be in the belly of the whale? That's really interesting. What, what were you doing in your life that made you end up in the belly of the whale? And so let's continue on with this interpretation. So, so he's, he, he's, he was in this depersonalization state and still is. And then he, he goes to the festival and then he meets up with Rita and the team. And then he says to Rita, do me a favor. I need a good hard slap in the face. And she slaps him. And I found this to be quite comical because many people need a slap in the face when they are stuck in their unconscious patterns. The patterns that have been causing themselves their own misery and others misery, but they can't seem to break. So we need that slap, right? And so 
confusion is happening right here with Phil. And he thinks he's the only one going crazy. And, you know, he's like, okay, maybe this is just some weird dream, though, because it's only the first time he woke up to the same day. And being trapped in this unknown unknown can be extremely frightening to someone who's been suffering for a long time, coming to that realization, right? It's frightening. Oh my God, you know, I've been causing my own pain for such a long time. I've been, I've been living unconsciously for such a long time. It's, it's frightening. And so to get better, you have to go to a worse place first. You have to confront the demons, that the crocodile lurking in the waters. You have to confront those parts of you that you've always been ignoring. And then Rita says to him, are you serious? And that's interesting because if you have been living a life of, of narcissistic destructive patterns and you tell someone else the truth, they will have a hard time buying into your story because you've been this identity for a long period of time. Other people will have a hard time, you know, it's like the boy who cried wolf in some way, right? They're just going to have a hard time believing in you. And Phil says, I'm really having a problem. He says that to Rita. And, and that was the day, I remember I said that to myself the day where I was, I reached rock bottom with my anxiety disorder. I said, I need help. I, I really need help. Something is wrong and, you know, uh, I have to, uh, I don't know what to do, right? And so this is a huge moment for Phil because this is probably the first time in his life that, you know, he's, he's coming into contact with the parts of him that he doesn't want to confront. So it's a huge moment for him. He, he's admitting he has a problem and that, that, that there is a problem. And so later he, we see him take another shower and we saw him take a shower before and it was freezing. So again, he goes into the shower and he should expect the shower to be cold, but he turns it on anyways. And I thought, why? Why would, why would he go into the shower again knowing that it will be cold? And I thought, well, you have to step into a sludge puddle probably five to ten times before you begin to avoid it right? You can't break unconscious patterns overnight, right? You, sometimes you, you just, you're not aware until you step in the puddle 10 times and then you're like, oh my God, this puddle is causing me a lot of pain. I don't want to step into it again. And then you just stop stepping into it because now you're more aware that you're, you're doing something to make you step into that puddle. And so he wakes up again the next morning in more terror because he realizes that it's, it's happening again. It's a repeat of Groundhog Day. And we see him in extreme panic mode today. And so to somebody with health anxiety, that is what ex that's what happens, right? They wake up dreading the day. They're dreading the future, expecting the same 
situations to occur. They feel the sen same sensations. They, they have all of those what if thoughts. It's just another day of panic for the anxiety sufferer. And they know that there is no escaping their demons, right? There's no escaping you. And it's frightening. And so this is the second time the day is repeating for Phil. And then we see Phil running down the street. He's in panic mode. He's like, he's in the unknown unknown. He's in the depths of the ocean. And then Ned runs up to him, just like the other days. And Phil just pushes Ned away and runs away from Ned. He is in total panic. And so the message here I, I, I see is, this is what feeling trapped looks like and feels like. It really does. For somebody who's suffering from health anxiety, you feel like you're unique, like you're the only one. You're the only one that's going crazy, and it's scary. You're the only one in society who feels this way. You're the unique person of society. And Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle has a great quote where he says, you're more likely going to find a spiritual awakening in a jail cell rather than a private jet. And that's true. And you're more likely going to find the answers in the places. Well, you, you are only going to find the answers in the places where you don't want to look, right? You have to really look for those answers and you have to go to the deepest, darkest part of the ocean to find them. And so that's why the storm kept Phil in Punxsutawney, essentially. Phil doesn't want to be in Punxsutawney. He doesn't want to be there, but that's exactly where he needs to be in order to figure out his situation, right? And so then he, he arrives at the festival and he tells Rita, I've already did this twice. And then he asks her to meet him at the diner and then he runs off. And so now they're both sitting at the diner and then Phil tells Rita, I'm reliving the same day over and over. I'm asking for help. But Phil doesn't know what to do, right? He feels, he feels more trapped and, and she's looking at him like he's crazy. And she doesn't know what to do and tells him to get his head examined, right? And people feel more people feel more alienated than ever before once you come to the realization that you are not well, right? So he's he, he's he and he's come to that realization. He he knows he's not well, and he feels more alienated because Rita is looking at him like, what what is wrong with you? I don't know what's going on with you. And when health anxiety suffers around people like that, it makes them feel more alienated because, you know, if, if my family doesn't know what's going on, if the people around me don't know what's going on, uh, you know, I'm in serious trouble, right? And then this is really interesting that there are two guys sitting next to Phil and they turn to Phil and say, your name is Phil too? Like the groundhog, Phil? Watch out for your shadow there, pal. And they laugh. And I was like, wow, they're really echoing that throughout the movie. That Phil needs to come in contact with his shadow, right? He needs to become aware of his shadow. 
And so that's no coincidence that line is there, right? And that's no coincidence that the groundhog is also named Phil. The, the human Phil, unless he confronts his shadow, he's going to be stuck in this loop, right? And I thought that was really interesting. So the universe is trying to tell Phil to watch out for his shadow. But he's, he's not paying attention to that. He's, he's in his own mind. He's in his own anxiety. He's in his own panic at this point. And Phil is unaware of his shadow. And that's the problem. He avoided that, those parts of him his whole life. And, and they've caught up to him at this point. And then Larry walks in. And then Phil says to Rita and Larry, I'm not going back to Pittsburgh because Phil knows he he cannot. He's stuck, right? And that's really interesting. There's no going back to regular life once you descend into the underworld. You see that in the Pinocchio story. At one point, Pinocchio comes back home and his father left and his home is not the same anymore because once you develop yourself in the unknown, there's no going back to regular life, your old ways of being. There's no going back. So that's represented here in that, in that line when he says, I'm not going back to Pittsburgh. There's no way he can, right? Because once you go into the underworld, there's no way you can go back to your old ways of being. Now you have to confront those monsters and develop yourself so that you can get out of the underworld. And, and so the way out is to confront the things you've been running from your whole life, confronting the shadow. And so the only way I got out of the darkest point in my life was to face the, tra the traumas of my past and to adjust my aim and actions so that I can eventually manifest the positives in life later on to begin to serve my higher self instead of being a unconscious puppet to my ego. And so she recommends to Phil to get his head examined and he does that, which is really interesting. And I love this part because he goes to the doctors and everything checks out. The doctor says, Phil, your, your head looks great. And to an anxiety sufferer, they go to the doctor. The doctor says everything is fine. It's great for the moment. It's a, it's a temporary relief, but they're still trapped in the unknown, right? Because they don't, they still feel the sensations. They still feel confused and bewildered. And they still feel alienated, right? And so that's what health anxiety sufferers go through. They, they need to find the answers. They go to the doctors to find answers to bring them back into some known territory. And then Phil goes and sees a psychiatrist. I love this part because the psychiatrist says, that's an, that's an unusual problem you have there, Phil. And no patient wants to hear that. No patient because that moves them farther into the unknown unknown. The unknown unknown is you don't know what's wrong and you don't know what to do about it. 
And so if you hear someone, especially a professional, quote unquote professional, say, that's an unusual problem. That's, you don't want to hear that because anxiety sufferers, they want to hear some sort of label. They want to hear some sort of order. They want to be moved into some known territory because they're out in the woods, in the dark woods, they're lost, right? And so if, if the psychiatrist told Phil, for example, you have an anxiety disorder, at least that's a good label, right? At least that's a good label because it becomes known unknown. You have, you have some navigation, right? And that's, that's important. So he's still stuck in the unknown unknown. The doctors and psychiatrists, they don't know what's going on. And then he, he's at a bar now. He's sitting at a bar talking to two guys who are clearly drunk. And then Phil recalls a time when he's on a beach with a beautiful woman drinking all day. He tells these guys that. And then he says, why couldn't I get that day over and over again? Why? And that, and we talked about this already. The reason is, is because when you are placed, when you are in a place where you least want to be, it brings out the shadow. It brings out the parts of you that you need to confront, right? And it develops you. That's the, the reason, right? Being in places where you don't want to be, those places develop you. They, they, they mold this hardened character. And so that's why he's not reliving those days where he's on a beach drinking with beautiful women. He, he needs to develop himself in a place where he doesn't want to be, which is in Punxsutawney, right? And David Goggins says this. David Goggins is a ultra marathon runner. He's a, a truly inspirational person. I do recommend you look into David Goggins. And he says this beautifully when he talks about his experience going through Hell Week in the Navy SEALs. Right. He went he went and did Hell Week three times, which is the first time anyone has ever done that. Three times in one year, which is amazing. He says when he was in Hell Week, his demons come out and and, and came out. Right? And so your demons will come out when you're in when you are in situations when you are placed in situations you don't want to be in, your demons will come out and you got to face them. And many people in today's society, they don't. We watch Netflix, right? We smoke weed, we drink alcohol, we go on our phones, we go on social media. It's so easy to mask our demons. And then Phil says to the guys, what would you do if every day was the same and nothing mattered? And which pretty much sums his life up to this moment, right? Phil's life. And then Phil and the two drunks, they get into a car. And then driving away from the bar, Phil says to them, what if there wasn't a tomorrow? And then the two guys say, well, we can do whatever we want. 
And this is the problem with certain phrases such as YOLO, you know, you only live once. And it supports that pleasure island phase, right? You can, you can easily ignore responsibility by, you know, doing things recklessly. Let's just be reckless, you know? We only live once. And if you ignore responsibility, it comes back and bites you in the ass. That's the thing. That's what we saw in Jonah and the whale, right? Jonah ignored that responsibility, and then it comes back to bite him in the ass. For the better, too. For the better. Um, and we see here in the movie that Phil is hanging around the wrong people, right? He's hanging around the wrong people. I like to see this part of the movie as the negative friends phase, right? Um, the, the, you know, the, the friends that support your negative habits, that support your drinking, that support your negative beliefs. Um, they go along with you rather than tell you you're wrong and what you are doing is stupid, right? You don't want to hang around those types of people. You want to hang around people who, like the Rita types, who tell you that what you're doing is wrong, that you need to get a grip and stop doing these bad habits. So these two guys are supporting Phil's uh, reckless behavior. And then, so, he ends up in jail. He gets into, he, he crashes the car, ends up in jail. And then he wakes up again to another repeat of Groundhog Day. And he wakes up in a more chipper mood. He realizes, well, he can do whatever he wants, and there will be no consequence. And this is the denial phase. This is the pleasure island phase, right? And so he, co he goes downstairs, gives the B&B &B owner a, a big kiss. He says, you know, I'll be staying an extra day. And then he, he goes off. And, you know, things are a little better, but he's mostly in denial, one good thing about this day is he avoids the hole he usually steps in. That pothole he usually steps in, he avoids, he notices it. So he's kind of, he's, he's slowed down a little bit, which is good. And he avoids the, the sludge puddle. And so at least his day is 2% better than it was, right? And so we see that he is disrupting the repetitive day a little bit more with new activities, with bad habits, right? They do stimulate new neural pathways, but he's he, he he's still engaging in bad habits, but he's doing things stupidly. And that's the beginning of all of our journeys in life. Like if if to better ourselves, we we begin new habits, and when we begin new habits, we do it badly. And so, you know, he he he's at this point he's trying to figure out his aim his orientation he's that's what he's doing at this point in the movie he's figuring things out and he's doing things badly you know he's really stupid at at what he's doing he's you know he, and we see that at this point in the movie he's in denial because he starts to engage in his impulsive pleasures right and we see that next we see Phil with Rita at the diner 
And Phil has this gigantic breakfast on the table. It's huge. Like he's just going all out. And he has a what's the point attitude at this point. He doesn't care. And so he turns into this more, even more disgusting guy. And so he's beginning to manipulate the structures of reality even more for his own pleasures. So he moves from fear and anxiety to denial. He embraces the shadow. He's entertaining those impulsive pleasures. He's entertaining the dark parts of himself. And basically what he believes is I can just take advantage. You know, I'm just going to wake up again tomorrow. Why not just take advantage? Why not have this gigantic breakfast and smoke cigarettes and eat all these carbohydrates and, you know, so what? And then Rita recites a poem. And the poem goes like this. The wretch concentered all in self, living shall forfeit fair renown and doubly dying shall go down to the vile dust from whence he sprung unwept unhonored and unsung sir walter scott and the poem states that no matter how famous or wealthy or narcissistic you are you are among the most appalling of human beings. Then Phil laughs at the poem. He laughs, mocking the poem. And this is really interesting because Rita clearly has a lot of wisdom. She's clearly awake. You know, she's a bright woman. She knows what's going on. She's, she's conscious and I remember my friend when I was going through my recovery and um, I was working with a coach and I showed my friend a video of, of my coach talking about like really powerful advice, right? And he laughed at it. He laughed and he's, he's a guy stuck in his ego. He's a guy stuck in unconsciousness. He's a guy st stuck in denial, and he laughed. He laughed. And I felt really terrible. And I felt really embarrassed. And I was like, and and and, and I I I was even more awake to the fact that this guy is not interested in helping himself or seeking out wisdom or seeking out his higher self. He's comfortable stuck in his own bubble, right? And so we see that here with Phil. Because he's mocking the poem, you know, he's holding on to his identities. He's holding on to his ego, just like my friend. And then Phil says, you think I'm acting this way because I'm egocentric? And then Rita says, I know you are egocentric. So Phil den denies the truth of himself here at this point. And then walking out of the diner, he sees a beautiful woman sitting, reading the newspaper, and he decides to take advantage. And so he sits next to her and he asks this woman some personal questions. Where are you from? Which high school did you go to? 
who was your high school teacher? And then after getting that information, he gets up and walks away and the woman's like, hey, what was that for? And then we see why he did that the next day. And so the next day, he's only focused on getting the pretty girl and not for the right reasons. To objectify and to use her for instant gratification. Because he uses the information he obtained from her at the diner to act act like an old friend from back in the day. Because he sees her at the Groundhog Day Festival. And so he uses that information to manipulate reality and to manipulate her. And so she buys into it, hook, line, and sinker. And then later we see them getting busy in front of the fire. You know, I think this is at Phil's uh, B&B uh, room. And so they're getting busy in front of the fire. And then Phil at one point says, oh, Rita, unaware that he says that. And then the woman reacts and says, who's Rita, right? And that's really interesting. People stuck in their negative unconscious patterns continuously seek out trouble that fit with their negative unconscious aim, right? So Phil's seeking out trouble with this woman, right? He's just giving in to his unconscious negative habits, the shadow parts of himself. And the people that are right for them are ignored completely or they are unconsciously repelled by them, like Rita. So the, the person who is actually right for Phil, who is Rita, well, Phil is unattracted to Rita. and Well, he is attracted to her, but he's, he's, he's repelled by her in some way, Right? And the Rita types act as the judge. Rita acts as the judge because her identity is oriented toward the good. She's awake, right? And I'll give you an example. When you speak to someone who is emotionally, spiritually, financially vibrant and awake, and you are far from that, you tend to avoid these people unconsciously because you are more oriented towards people who are unconscious just like you because you can manipulate them, right? And... Since that interaction with that person is an unpleasant experience, you know, you know, since Phil is around Rita and, and she's pointing out the negative qualities of Phil, Phil doesn't like that because he's holding on to his identity. And then he goes and seeks people that support his identity. It could be those negative friends. Could be those two guys, those those two drunks, or it could be these women that he's seeking, this woman that he's found right now. And you can see, you know, Phil's um, 
tight his tight grip over his own ego, his own identity in the diner when he laughs at Rita's poem because Rita is wise. But Phil's ego, it got attacked by her wisdom. And it brought out Phil's flaws. It built a wall up instantly. And then the next day, what did he do? Well, he went out to seek instant gratification, to seek out trouble, to seek out um, situations that fit with his identity. And then we see Phil manipulate the woman even more in this scene. He says to her, will you marry me? And just by saying that, well, he says it because he knows that's exactly what she wants to hear. And he knows that tomorrow doesn't exist to some degree because it's just going to restart again because it's a loop. And I remember my old self and when I used to live in that pleasure on that pleasure island, in, in, in that pleasure island phase, when I used to seek out just instant gratification 24-7, I, I didn't act like a future Brad existed. But the thing is, you cannot live without future consequences to your actions, right? If you have a one-night stand, for example that one night stand can pop five snakes from it. So you think you're fulfilling some sort of need, but that one action can produce five horrible outcomes. The person could get pregnant. The person could feel emotionally attached to you, or you can feel emotionally attached to them. There's many negative outcomes. And so we see that here. Well, we we don't see the outcomes, but we see him manipulating this woman, manipulating reality, and 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 he's feeding on his his desires, right? And then there's then there's another scene following this scene where Phil steals a bag of money from a, a brink truck, you know, a money truck. And then he after stealing the money. He buys a fancy car. He has a new woman on his shoulder. So he takes his desire for fame and desire for attention to the extreme at this point. He's just going all out. He's just, you know, feeding that monster. He's feeding the shadow. He's just, he's just entertaining the shadow. And then the, there's a scene after that where he is talking to Rita uh, in front of the um, news van, and he asks Rita, "If you only had one day to live, what would you do with it?" So we see that Phil is trying to figure it out, right? That's what he's doing at this point in the movie. He's just figuring it out. He's and and you know we don't know yet if this in, these instant gratifications aren't working for him, but we see that. He's still figuring it out that the instant gratifications, like the women, the car, the money, well, that's not working. Because if it was working, he wouldn't ask Rita this question, would he? 
if you only had one day to live, what would you do with it? You know, if it was worthwhile, then he would just keep doing those things, right? And so for me, I had no other choice but to recover from anxiety because the pain of staying put was just too great. My Whatever I was doing wasn't working, right? And so Phil... Phil hasn't found that meaning yet. He hasn't found that path. He isn't, he's still in that denial phase, right? And so we then see that, you know, these desires that he's been seeking out, you know, these these habits, the women, the money, they're all hollow, and they only cause more pain. And how do we know that? It's because Phil begins to slow down and stop these habits. He's, he's, he stops doing them at this point in the movie. That's how we know. And then the next scene, Phil and Rita are at the diner. And Phil, you know, he he's looking more dapper. He's wearing his suit today. Um... And Phil asks Rita a bunch of questions, right? So for the first time, what it looks like to me is Phil is becoming more interested in Rita. And we already know this from from when Phil called out Rita's name when he was with that other woman, right? So we know that Phil has an attraction, this unconscious attraction towards Rita. And so in this scene, we see Phil become more external with his surroundings. And and he's he's interested in Rita and what she's about. And so he asks her, what kind of men are you interested in? What do you want out of life? And she says, love, marriage, children. She's Wendy in the Peter Pan story, right? And what what happens in the Peter Pan story? Well, Peter Pan is, you know, king of the lost boys. He doesn't want to grow up, right? And so he stays in his unconscious childlike manner, unwilling to face his negative programs and to, and to get out of his childish ways. And so Wendy is a real woman, right? Because Tinkerbell is this imaginary thing in his imagination tinkerbell isn't real but he would rather cling to what's not real than the real thing right and so rita here represents that the wendy right she's the real deal she wants when she wants children she wants marriage she wants to grow up with somebody and live old with them right and then phil says or asks her you know, is this how normal people talk? But it's not, it's not quite, you know, because, because Phil's bad at it, right? He's been, you know, he's not good at it. He has a very poor persona, as we talked about in the, the first part of this series. So he's bad at it. You know, that's not really how people talk, but he's, this is the beginning steps of him, right? He's going to be bad at it. And it's understandable, And so at this point, we see Phil's interest in Rita, right? She describes her perfect man. 
and Phil with his ego-centered identity says, those are all the qualities I possess. And she sees that he is ego-centered because he says that he possesses these qualities, but he doesn't act them out, right? It's one thing to say these qualities, like I have these qualities. It's another, it's another thing to act them out, right? To embody them. And then Phil asks Rita, what's your perfect guy? And then Rita says, he's too humble to know that he's perfect. And then Rita says, or Phil says, that's me, which is just comical. Just goes to show you how ego-centered he really is, right? And so Phil twists reality to get close with Rita. You know, he finds out her favorite drink, her interests, the more he engages with her, the more he finds out what she's all about, which is really interesting because Phil is now developing his persona at this point in his movie. He's digging deeper into her personality. He's becoming more awake. He's more awake now than ever before, right? So he's already developed somewhat. And if he says something that Rita didn't agree with, he will take stock of it and adjust the following day. And somebody who's awake does this, right? That's how we know Phil is becoming more awakened. So when, when, you, when you read somebody, when you, when you pay attention and you say something to somebody that is, you know, that doesn't favor with them, you know, you, you take stock and then you have an opportunity to change and, and, and not say that thing again, right? And so more meaning is coming into Phil's life at this point. There's more connection. And, and it, that's something that has not been seen yet. And because he's just been doing these one-night stands with these other women, engaging in impulsive pleasures, but we see a shift in him at this point. And he discovers that there's no meaning in those things, those impulsive pleasures, right? Because he stops doing those things. But we are not sure at this point in the movie if all of this work is just to get Rita in bed or not. But I don't think that matters so much as to he's actually, we see him, he's more awake. He's actually a better person now than he's ever been, which is an improvement, right? You have to gradually and slowly fail, but, you know, grow at the same time. And so he's developing his social skills here. And, and this reminds me of my social anxiety that I used to battle. Right? Each day that I went to the coffee shop to read, I would view the interaction of myself and the barista as a challenge to develop my small talk because I was very bad at it. So you got to stumble about. One day I might be talking to them like briefly 
and you know, I might be overly shy and then I would take stock of that and I would feel embarrassed for the moment, but then I would go back to the coffee shop, the same one, knowing that I have another opportunity to get it right, that I, I, I can, I can, you know, to, to ask the better, better questions or to interact better or to make more eye contact, whatever it is, right? So each day there's an, a new opportunity. And that's really important to understand, right? And so at Rita, when they're out to dinner and and and, and Phil and Rita, then this is a point where Phil, Phil, Phil is is adjusting himself each and every day to get the, his interactions with Rita right, right? Finding out what she likes, what she doesn't like, and then adjusting them and getting it, in, in, and he's orienting himself better each and every time. And then Rita at one point says she studied 19th century poetry. And then Phil laughs, right? He laughs. And then he notices Rita's negative reaction to that laugh, right? Obviously. And then Phil notes that and the next day doesn't laugh at it. And so things just got, is getting better. So, we, we, we all have to treat each day as a blank slate. Like I told you with the coffee shop scenario, I treated each day as a blank slate. You know, tomorrow's a new opportunity to get it more right because I failed somewhat today. You know, when I was talking to that barista, I felt, you know, shy and I stuttered and I felt embarrassed and I took stock of that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the same coffee shop. I'm not going to avoid that situation, I'm going to confront that situation again and improve on it. I want to get it right this time. So I had this inner drive to consistently get it right. I, I really wanted to get it right. And so each day is a new opportunity to get it right. And so what's also interesting is that every everyone else in the movie, all the other characters wake up the same, but Phil each day wakes up more developed in some way, right? He's growing, right, in in some manner. But everyone else in the movie is is just a a a, a loop, right? And that's essentially you can view yourself. You can view your situation as as that. Right? You have to view yourself as somebody who is in, living in this world and has an opportunity to change. Right? And, and it's, about your, it's about what you can do. Right? When you change your internal world, then your external world begins to change. You have to focus on what you can do. So that's why we see this in the movie. Right? Phil is... You know, it's it's all about him, right? We're seeing his development. He's the one getting out of this this loop, right? He's the one developing. And then after the dinner, we see uh, Phil and Rita. They build a snowman. They get into a snowball fight with some kids. It's very spontaneous. It's very genuine. And she notices that. So they they begin to get close right? Closer than ever before. And then we see them dancing under the snow and it's very romantic. It's spontaneous. It's genuine. 
and she 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 it's very attractive right it, it to not to not only Rita but us the viewer right because this is very pleasing to us to see Phil genuine to see him not faking not trying to manipulate the world right because that's what villains do in the movies that's what tyrants do they manipulate reality so they can get what they want but ultimately that's never the answer because that only brings you unhappiness and so rita says in this point of the movie it was a perfect day you couldn't plan a day like this and then phil says you can but it takes a lot of work right and so that's what happens when you see the outer onion of somebody like if I interacted with somebody now, like say say I go to the coffee shop now and I'm so engaging to the barista, I'm so outgoing and the and, and the person behind the counter, you know, is so enthusiastic about me and, and connects with me and things like that. And, and you saw that, you're only seeing the outer onion of somebody that continuously worked and failed at that persona. Because I used to be bad at it. Remember before when I talked about that? You know, I got to the way I am now because I had to continuously fail and work at it and work at it. And so when Phil says here, you can, but it takes a lot of work, that's true. Because Phil had to suffer many failures in order to construct a meaningful, perfect day, right? You have to, that's what it, that's what it takes, so if things aren't working for you, be aware and take stock. Then readjust the next day. Eventually, you'll get to a point where there, there comes a day where it's the perfect day because you kept working at it, right? And so he invites Rita up to his room. And she agrees. But then we see here that, you know, he's not the perfect, he hasn't fully oriented himself perfectly because his, his, his intentions are off at this point. He's looking to hook up with her. And so in his B&B room, there's a lot of awkwardness with Phil and Rita. You know, it's, it's not genuine. It's, it's very awkward. And Rita is not looking to sleep with someone, especially Phil, after just one day, right? No matter how romantic the day is. But Phil doesn't get that. His, his aim is not aligned correctly. And sex has to happen so that his desires can be met. And that's the problem here. The day won't be fully complete unless he sleeps with Rita. And so, and someone who is addicted to something believes that the desire has to be met now because tomorrow won't exist, that it has to happen now or that I may not get the opportunity tomorrow, right? It has to happen now, right? So the person will do anything to obtain it. And we see that here with Phil. He tries desperately to get Rita to sleep with him, right? And, and what, what, what we see here, what we take from this is that 
all the work during the day, all the work Phil put into the day is meaningless if he doesn't get a chance to sleep with her, right? And and that's not good because, well, Rita's not that type of person and Phil can't read the situation. And it's not genuine too. He's trying to, you know, we see here that he's trying to force her into it, right? And then this is really interesting or, or quite comical. And, and, and Phil says to Rita, I love you. He's trying to use his old strategies that worked with those other women on Rita, but it doesn't work on her, right? And, and she says, you barely know me. And, and then Rita starts listing off, you know, the day, like, like it was a great day. We did this and we did that, but you know, we got this fudge ice cream, but I don't even like fudge, you know? And, and then Phil makes a note of that out loud and, you know, pointing out, you know, what Rita doesn't like so that he can adjust it the next day. And then Rita says, is that what love is for you? Are you making a list of things of what I like and don't like? So she's too smart for his own good. We see that here. You can't really get anything past her, right? And 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 that's the person you really want to have around, right? You don't want somebody, like I said before, that supports your negative beliefs, right? You want somebody who's like who 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 pays attention and and corrects you. So that, you know, that helps you orient yourself properly, right? You don't want to hang around people who are constantly supporting your current beliefs, right? You want somebody that you can challenge. And, that, and that's what a meaning relationship is all about. You want somebody that will point out what, you know, what you're doing is stupid, what you're doing is wrong, and, and, and then it's your responsibility to adjust, that that right and then he says to her this is real this is love but she but she doesn't buy it right and so i had to prove to myself i had to prove to myself that i could change over a long period of time rather than acting differently in just one day right and rita who who is consciously awake who is untrickable she is the one pulling Phil into a more awakened state, right? When I was when I was going through my recovery, Maggie was was the person in my life who was helping me adjust over a long period of time. Right? I had to, I had to prove to well, I I decided to prove to myself that you know it's not about acting this way, this acting properly for one day. It's about acting properly for the rest of my life. To have a mindset that is continuous continuously developing. Continually developing. And um we see Rita's character, right? We see Rita's character in the Lion King too. Nala in the Lion King. Right in the Lion King, Nala is pulling Simba to be more conscious, to be more awake. 
She's pulling Simba away from his dopey friends that are keeping him on Pleasure Island, right? Timon and Pumbaa, right? That was Pleasure Island. And so Rita is the proper challenge for Phil, you know, making him fail over and over and over again, thus adjusting his strategies in order to better his aim and orientation in the world. You need those relationships around you. And what's great about Phil at this point, it just shows you his development, is that he's he's willing to hang around Rita every day because he feels like she's the right challenge for him. He's he's so that's proof of how awake he is at this point in the movie. You need to be continuously pushed out into the unknown, out of your familiar ways, right? In order for you to readjust because in the unknown, in the depths of the ocean, in the depths of your unconscious, that's where the answers lie. That's where development lies. And then Rita says to Phil, I could never love someone like you because you will never love anyone else but yourself. And then Phil says, that's not true. I don't even like myself. And and Rita's referring to Phil's ego, right? And Phil just blatantly admits here without his own awareness of it that, you know, he doesn't even... You know, you know, he he doesn't like being trapped in his own ego, right? Remember, he used to refer to himself as celebrity. He referred to himself as famous person. He viewed himself as this person above everybody else. And then here he admits something massive, which is, I, I don't even like myself. You know, he doesn't even like who he is. And, you know, he is a slave to his thoughts. He's and his ways of being. He's a slave to his habits. He's stuck in this loop. And not knowing, Phil backs up Rita's comment by saying that he's basically stuck and hates who he is and his situation. And and it's the first time Phil admits that he hates the way he is. And it's genuine. You know, the way he says it. I don't even like myself and it's very genuine and sometimes you have to hear yourself say it you really do I had to hear myself say it you know I need I need help what I'm doing is bad you know the actions the the bad habits that I was doing you know was only causing me misery sometimes we have to say it out loud to under fully understand right and Carl Rogers, who's a who's a psychologist, he won't continue with a patient if they are not fully aware that they have a problem and need help. Right? And that's really interesting. You ha- the the patient needs to come in and already admit that they have a problem and that they 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 want to get out of it, right? So we see here Phil speaks the truth. The truth is shining through Phil than ever before. And then at one point, she slaps him and leaves, right? So he gets another slap, right? So those slaps represent the 
the, 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 remember, like I said before, the, the, the awakening, right? The, the, the orienting a pain, right? That helps the pain that helps you orient yourself properly. And then he's pulling the same moves on Rita the next day, right? They're building a snowman, um, you know, they get into a snowball fight. He's doing the same tactics, but it's even more ungenuine this time. It's actually more repulsive. And we see that he's only doing all these things so that he can really get Rita in bed with him. And then we see a, a montage of like a hundred slaps occur, right? We see slap after slap. And, and sometimes we need a hundred slaps in order for us to change our ways, to change our perspective. So Phil needs all of these slaps to, to get the picture, right? He needs those slaps. And, and, and th those, you know, those types of people like Phil think, why do bad things always happen to me? Right? He's, he's one of those types of people. And the, re and the reason is, is because the universe is telling him that you have to, that the way you, you are, that the way he's orienting himself in the world is wrong. That's why bad things keep happening to you because the universe is telling you the way you've oriented yourself in the world is wrong. Your aim is off. You need constant slaps, constant waking up to get things into perspective. So you can view this montage as the universe, as nature, slapping Phil into consciousness. And I think that's a great place to stop. And um, if you're interested in seeing the slides, go over to the Anxiety Project YouTube channel where you can watch the video version of this podcast and you can just follow along with visuals, right? Um, I'll put the slides of the movie in the video version. And um, these, 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 so far, this has been extremely rewarding for me to, 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 to walk you through this movie because it's so deep. It's so profound. It's, there's, um, it's, it's endless in its meaning, right? It's, it's exhaust. It's, 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 what's the word? Um, I guess I, I said, it. it's just inexhaustible in its meeting in, in its meaning. And so that's where I'm going to leave you on today's podcast episode. Please, uh, leave a, a review on iTunes. And, um, if you're watching or listening on YouTube, leave a like and comment. And lastly, do not let anxiety define who you are. Part three will be coming next week. I'm looking forward to that. I I hope to see you on, on that episode. I will be with you again next week. Bye for now. Brad's powerful anxiety recovery program is available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project program 
is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. What are you waiting for? Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.